Hip Hop for Change is so much more than I ever imagined it would be. Eight years of working with the most empowered activists, the most empowered women, the most empowered queer people. I've learned more about justice in eight years than my entire life. That was Hip Hop for Change founder and executive director, Kafri J. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this episode, Kafri picks up where he left off in part one. After high school, he moved up to Mendocino and started teaching kids coming out of foster homes and correctional facilities. Then he came back to San Francisco and got a job with Greenpeace doing grassroots fundraising on the streets of the city. Marrying his love of education, hip-hop, and his new knowledge of how to raise money and do direct activism at a community level, Kafri launched his nonprofit, Hip-Hop for Change. Eight years later, in addition to their radio show on KPOO, the group raises money, puts on events, and directly engages with people in an effort to end white supremacy and bring control of black and brown culture to the people. Here's Kafri. I also learned that we were costing the city like a million dollars a day protesting. That mm. blew my mind. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind, the economics of it, you know. And a lot of people say that that protest didn't do anything. But that protest changed the, the, the terminology that Americans were using. That protest is why we had Occupy, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. Occupy is why we had Bernie Sanders, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying, and Democratic Socialism, mm-hmm. and, you know, and all that other stuff. So, I mean, it comes from a long thing. But that's that, that sparked my activist self, like, you know what? I'm dedicating my narratives now to what pisses me off. At that point in life, I was like, why the fuck was I rapping about girls that didn't like me and when I was 16 and money I didn't have and cars I never, I didn't even have a fucking license at 20. I was like, I, and all my raps were filled with cars and shit and yeah. all this. I was like, why was I rapping about that stuff? If I would have been rapping about police brutality, maybe I'd be on wrong point, you know, mm-hmm. at 20. If I'd have been rapping about shit, the Navy Hunters Point shipyard, you know what I'm saying? What you knew versus what you were aspiring. What I was experiencing, right. you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Then maybe I'd have been able to overstand, not even just understand, but overstand all these things that I was dealing with traumatically in my chest, you know, mm-hmm. at an earlier age. And I don't think I had all the vocabulary to kind of contextualize that for myself then, but that's where those seeds were started. Right. You know what I'm saying? And right. it took me 15 years to figure out how to contextualize it for y'all today. <laughs> you know what I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Do you want, so <laughs> do you want to tell us about those 15 years, what you were doing? Um, <laughs> that's all just 15 years, just 15 whole fucking years. Yeah. No, but you, you mentioned a couple of times, like the different places around the U S yeah. maybe outside the U S. So, so did you get to the point where you're like, now I'm, Taking the shit on the road. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was rapping with Richie Cunning in School of the Arts a little bit afterwards, and he went to school, so we kind of parted ways. I, I started rapping with a group called B Pies in 2004. Shout out to the homies, my man Vinny, uh, and my man D Wiz, um, and uh, Johnny Vanetti, our DJ. Uh, I went, and I started rapping with them, you know. I, kind of like just rapping on some of their songs and whatnot. Vinny, he's one of the most prolific networkers ever, so he was creating these tours. I wouldn't have been to 42 states rapping without him. You know what I'm saying? So I went on three tours with them in those 15 years, really getting into my hip-hop. Not only that, but the scene in the Bay Area is really familial, right? Like, it's very... There's only a degree of separation in the Bay Area anyway. Right. You know right, what I'm right. saying? But when it comes to hip-hop and real hip-hop community, we know everybody. You know, right. it's very, like, familial. And so, yeah, I started 
rapping. Everybody, like, I started rapping at the different ciphers, different shows. I started throwing shows myself. And that whole 15-year period of me going on tours, establishing myself, meeting different people, you know, I don't know. Like, hip-hop in the Bay is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's like... In reality, it's activists, educators, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. teachers that teach literacy and the rap and school principals and shit, our uh, artists and protesters. Like, this is what the scene that we have is pretty amazing, too. To this day, right before the pandemic, we had ROTC, Return of the Cypher, at the historic Boom Boom Room every Sunday, mm-hmm. where you can just go and rap and yeah. freestyle and meet everybody, get your chops up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I spent 15 years in a wildly underfunded community that yeah. was doing the most inspirational hip-hop events ever. I went on tour. We weren't famous. We weren't, like, I won a, one CD we rapped for five people, and three of them owned the fucking spot we rapped at. We we blew the socks off of those five people. I was people. just about to say, yeah. to be one of those five people. Was, this is the best fucking practice that we're ever going to do for these <laughs> motherfuckers right here. You know what I'm saying? When we also burnt the house down in front of thousands, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um but yeah, I think those 15 years, um, starting off being like, I'm going to be a famous rapper, that's my goal, to being like, oh, well, the industry doesn't really want to hear you know, what black people really have to say, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, to be like, fuck it, I'm going to throw my own shows and go on tour, being like, damn, this is really hard to go against another Planet Entertainment. Mm. And then seeing little Yachty's and the Uzi Verts have... <laughs> Like thousands of little white kids from Atherton and, and Marin and shit, and they come out being gangsters. They get to be niggas for a night, right? And then they leave, and then hip hop gets indicted for all the stupidity, and black people get indicted for all the stupidity if anything happens in front of the venue. Yeah. But I got this wildly empowered community of people that are spitting the most important empowered narratives, and we got twenty people at our show because we don't have enough bucks to advertise. That's right. that's the fifth. That's the progression of my mindset before I started Hip Hop for Change through those 15 years. Just trying shit, trying shit, trying shit. Okay, realizing that, oh, they don't want positive hip hop. Okay, we'll do it ourselves. We'll do it ourselves with that shit. Damn, I got to get higher insurance rates, you know, uh, on my event permits. And I can't afford that because I don't have another planet money, but I have to pay higher because I'm hip hop than this gospel show or this rock show. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a rock and roll guy, I can wear a top hat with a cane with a knife in it. But if I'm doing hip hop, I can't even wear a fucking cat backwards. You know what I'm saying? this right. venue so just getting real frustrated man when it comes to 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 my artistry in those 15 years i got so pissed off i started hip-hop for change okay um now in those 15 years besides that professionally trying to figure out the fuck i was going to do with my life if my rap didn't work out looked like me going to city college for five years mm-hmm. you know and i was majoring in western art history at first because i was coming from school of the arts so i was going to be an art buyer and then i was like wait i don't want to talk to rich white folks about you know caroscuro for the rest <laughs> of my fucking life uh, if i could just take their money and not yeah, have to do that yeah and then i was like i'll be an economist because i've never met a broke economist and now i realized oh, my shit. teacher was broke economist <laughs> and then i started studying psychology okay and that At really, College. yeah, that really resonated with me. Uh, I spent way too long studying that um, until I got my AA. I spent, I spent five years at, at City College without even getting an AA. So when I went to uh, Mendocino Junior College up north, oh. they, they asked me why I had so many damn credits. So I was studying <laughs> uh, developmental psychology up there. I, I call it developmental psychology, although I didn't even get my BA yet. I was really focused on working with kids and the development of logic. And I worked at level 12 group homes up there, uh, teaching kids 
hip hop and okay. how to use their laptops and garage band when it first came out. Nice. Uh, what town was that? Sorry. Ukiah. In Ukiah. Okay. Yeah. I lived in Hopland. 800 oh, people. Shit, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was that dude. I was the only black kid up there my age that wasn't taking football. Right. Yeah, because most of the kids up there come from like Florida that doesn't have any community Good colleges. Career, so yeah. people be like, "Yeah, what position do you play?" I was like, "I <laughs> uh, study development psychology, motherfucker, and yeah. minor in ceramics." And people are like, "Oh, sorry." I was yeah. like, "Yeah, race as much." Right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you want me to jump? <laughs> right. I can catch a ball too. Damn it, I'm a scout. <laughs> I don't play football. I don't play basketball. I skate. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I was up there for a while. Um, and that's really where, you know, working in those group homes, you know, all those kids are rapping, right? They're all trying to find their power, too. And I was like, I see these kids. Mm-hmm. And all the all the people working with those brown kids up there, because they're almost all brown and black kids, they're all country white folks hmm. who don't know shit about hood black kids, right? right? right. And I was just, I was the only, I was like one of two black people that were there and the only dude f- from the hood there, you know what I'm saying, that had been to jail, that used to gangbang. And these are all kids that have failed every foster placement they've ever had or right. are coming directly out of corrections, right? Mm. So I was, I was, that was a great place for me, you know what I'm saying? I was the only counselor that didn't get punched in the face. <laughs> By the kids? Yeah, or? yeah, I mean, I got punched other places, but I'm really good at <laughs> dodging, you know what I'm saying? Because right. I have my history with fighting so much. Right. But on top of that, those kids really trusted me because they knew I knew what they were talking about. I could see these kids, they come and they try to fake their little funk like they're real hard. And I'd be like, I know your cousin, he's a punk. All right? <laughs> I know he's a punk. And I see what you're trying to do. Let me tell you where your real power lies. And they believed me because they knew that I wasn't some oaky country dude that already devalued what these kids' experiences were anyway. They knew I had the exact same experiences, and I was like, bro, you are not hard. You're the real deal. I was like, you are actually as whack as I used to be. Let me tell you how, all right? Let me tell you where your real power is. It's like I know you because yeah. it's me. I was like, don't play that shit on me, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm your uncle, all right? That's what it is. I'm going I'm to school you up, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And this is, when I grew up in Hunter's Point, Everybody was my uncle mm-hmm. or my auntie. Mm-hmm. That's what we don't have anymore because so many black families got kicked out. That's what right. these young kids that I was working with, they didn't grow didn't up. Have that. They didn't have mm-hmm. that. I grew up that, you know, when you leave your house, you don't you make black people look bad. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's actually we have to carry the entire culture on our, uh, you know, on our backs. But we do. Yeah. But that's why young black kids have really strong caps. What did that do <laughs> for you, though, being up there and, and having that with the kids? Um, was it? I mean, was it more than just a f- fulfillment? Or it was. It was beautiful and it was difficult. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it was beautiful in the fact that I was so happy that I was able to be there for those kids. It was. It sucked because there was extra weight on me. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember walking in on kids doing shit that I was supposed to send them to jail for. Mm. I was supposed to be like, "You're out. I'm gonna call the cops," and they were supposed to come take them in handcuffs. And I couldn't do that. Yeah. No, you right. know what I'm saying? I don't mind saying it now. I hope Trinity Youth Services here that I did that shit too. No, they're trying to <laughs> deputy Karen you. Yeah. Well, right? You know, Make you right? deputy Karen. But, but I walk in, I said, what the fuck is wrong with you kids, right? right? I was like, are you, you really want to go to jail? You know what the fuck I'm supposed to do right now? And they're all frozen. Like, I caught them in their room, all four of them doing some illegal shit. And, you know, and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Are you right. kidding? And no other counselor is going to do that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, no other one's going to be like, do you know how how close you are on the brink of losing everything? Let me sit your ass down. Let me talk to you. You know what I'm saying? Like in their face, in their face. Like what the fuck is wrong with you, little boy? You know what I'm yeah. saying? These kids need that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and nobody else was able to do that, but it is a weight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I was risking losing my job trying to be their 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 older cousin, their uncle, or whatnot. You know what I'm saying? And it sucks 
that we have to be in those positions. But I, I, it also, it also was the reason why I was rapping with these kids. I was like, you know, let's rap about some real shit. I was like, how much money do you have? Why are you rapping about millions of dollars? Like, you ain't got no girlfriend, bro. You don't even have no game. <laughs> what are you rapping about women like that for? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They were like, Coffee, why are you always rapping so positive? You know, why don't you rap some hood shit? I wrote a song called On Some Gangster Shit, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm just, I'm like, I'm going to pretend I'm a big gangster. I wrote the hardest gangster shit ever. I'm like, there you go. And the chorus is like, you want me to be a gangster, huh? Well, that's all we listen to, duh. I'm like, <laughs> right. okay, anybody can do that shit. Feel free. You want to rap about something that makes you really feel like Shaka Zulu? I got you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that Rap your truth. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that was the initial experience. That 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 let me understand what hip hop pedagogy was. That was okay. my first experience with using hip hop as a vehicle to get these kids to know because these kids are already rapping. Right. And I showed this kid how to use GarageBand. Now I don't even got to worry about this kid no more. All he does is make beats and rap. And now there's three other kids trying to make an album, you know, in the worst circumstances in the world. And that's that kid's beautiful. good. That's okay. the first time I ever used hip hop as a vehicle for education. So, so that's the seeds of hip hop for change. Mm-hmm. Would you say? And sorry, I'm, quickly, which came first? Uh, the chicken or the egg? No, exactly. <laughs> which Pretty came much. first, the racism hip-hop. or my need to express myself? <laughs> we can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because I, because I know you from from Kpo from yeah. uh, is it Sundays twelve Kpoo yes eighty nine point five FM Hip Hop for Change so, Radio. So which came first, Hip Hop for Change or the radio show? Uh, Hip Hop for Change. Okay, um, so, so I got go offered that. the radio show because I was going to Kpoo to advertise some of our first shows and events. Awesome. Um, matter of fact, I mean that that fifteen year period allowed me to realize what hip hop was to me to my community mm-hmm. and how fucked up it was that we lost the means of production mm-hmm. uh, producing our culture mm-hmm. and promoting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it made me realize how you know fucked up it was for these you know 100 local artists who are all family to be doing this beautiful stuff and kids two blocks away that are going through it don't get to hear this narrative you know right. what I'm saying they don't get to listen to Brian Nicole or Coco Pela talk about the importance of women you know what I'm saying and then I hear white folks saying oh hip hop's all misogynistic I'm like first off fuck you you don't know my culture you know you don't think Taco Bell represents Mexican you know culture right, right? right. but you think that three corporations owned by white men represent black people you think that white owned media represents us well right like and also what about other like rock and roll hello god you know what i'm saying and and even for that it's like young black kids don't even know we invented rock and disco and and dubstep and techno like the only shit that white people ever invented was like appalachian bluegrass you know what i'm saying which is i mean you know it's good music great no it's great (laughs) i mean you know when i do my lectures for kids in Lafayette or you know Sonoma State University I'm like dude back when you know white people weren't white and they actually had connections to their ancestors who looked at the stars and danced under them and all that shit like you know I say go learn a song in your native tongue Mm. right how the fuck do I expect them to understand my experience and how important it is if they don't understand what culture means right because my experience is culture that's all the fuck black people have been able to hold on to because that's all white folks ever let us have and culture is food and music yeah yeah and you can't fake authenticity yeah you just can't do it so you know that 15 year experience not only allowed me to understand you know education is my favorite thing in the world Mm. and it also let me understand what hip-hop is and what it can be and what it could be for my community. You know, it also got me so pissed off that we don't own our shit anymore. And I, you know, through that time period looking for work, when I left uh, 
Mendocino Junior College, I got down to Frisco. I was looking for a job. First thing I picked, touched on was Greenpeace. Uh, so I started working there. I figured, you know, I'll, I'll canvas for a couple of weeks so I can find a real job. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I ended up working there for three and a half years. I was their first oh, wow. black director for Greenpeace's oh, grassroots shit. street fundraising okay. team. Uh, in the city? In, I ran the entire city. Damn. city. So okay. then Greenpeace had 14 offices open nationwide. One of the canvas offices was based in San Francisco, served the greater Bay Area. I ran that for about three years. Awesome. Uh, and I cut my teeth with grassroots organizing and fundraising there. Um, so, yeah, it's really hard to take credit cards on the street when you look like this. You know what I'm saying? I'm okay. standing downtown. Hey, let me get your credit card. And then we used to have these little pieces of paper and a crayon. We'd have to take an imprint of your card. So I had to oh, take yeah. your card oh, yes. and say, you're going to get a monthly donation. And we're going to charge you. I'm going to take an imprint. And I'm going to put this piece of paper in my back pocket. Bye. Yep. Yeah. So I had to get real good at credit card objections. Um <laughs> And, I, and I'm a hustler, you know, fortunately I got that from Hunter's Point, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So luckily I was using my powers for good. Uh, you know. But you were realizing, or you had realized uh, education and hip hop and that's, and th- but then you're like, and we need to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. As I'm working on a Greenpeace, seeing how Greenpeace is this machine, right? That is kicking corporate ass. Like, mm-hmm. But there's also such a big bureaucracy that, they also almost have no soul now, you know, right. not because the four, 400 people that are working there aren't the coolest people in the world. It's just bureaucracy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so at the same time where, you know, I'm, I'm getting bigger at Greenpeace, running that office, um, I'm also spinning my wheels trying to get do hip hop and mm-hmm. getting frustrated and frustrated. I, and I, I stopped working at Greenpeace in 2013. Um and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I was like, you know what? I spent all this damn time working for these folks, these white folks here who really didn't value me. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm going to invest in my hip hop again because I was working my ass off. I wasn't even rapping at that point because that's what tends to happen in activism. Right. Uh, and when I was canvassing, I would see these people on Hate Street selling their CDs on the corner. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of romanticizing it. So, you know, my last paycheck, 800 bucks, I bought a CD burner okay. uh, that burned 100 stack of CDs in 30 hours, light scribe. Uh, and I went out and started selling my own CD on Hate Street. And I blew me away. I was making like 100 bucks an hour. Oh, shit. And I, I don't even rap for people out there. It's like I, I'm diametrically opposed to dancing on sidewalks for white people. Right. Like, right. like not, fuck that. <laughs> right. um, and was, people, your, was your artist name Coffee J? Yeah, yeah. I just, like, I thought about all kind of names. I'm just Coffee. You know you, what I'm but saying? you have that name. You have a it great cool. name. Yeah, I mean, my last name is James, but I say J. That's so cool. it's all good, right? Yeah. But yeah, people be like, yo, uh, let me hear you rap. I'd be like, no. They'd be like, well, how the fuck you expect me to buy your shit? I'm like, look, you saved $2,000, $4,000 to come to my city. You know what I'm saying? And you're going to spend all that money here. And none of these people who own any of these stores are even fucking from here. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. And this is your one chance to even talk to a black person from San Francisco. This is your only opportunity to make sure that some of your dollars goes five miles over that way in Hunter's Point, the spot that ain't on the tourist map that you don't give two shits about until I told you about it. Right. So you either spend all your money with all these white folks or take a $20 chance on a black man on the sidewalk saying you should buy my hip-hop. Right. And I had a, over a 50% success rate Damn. just saying that. And people were like, yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> like, don't nice. fucking come at me like that. You don't say $5,000 say you can't waste two, 20 bucks on a black man? Right. Get out of my city. You know what I'm saying? You were educating them right there you on the spot. You that shit. On you the know spot. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I learned that from Greenpeace. You know, everybody would say, I don't want to donate. I don't want to do Oh, I'm broke. 
So what? You know what I'm saying? Every dollar your broke ass spends kills the world. So don't you think you should dedicate some of your broke ass dollars to saving it? You broke ass person. Right? All right. Like, uh, yeah. Thank black you. people are, there's a quarter million black people are going to die when the, the, the temperature of the earth raises two degrees. You think I care about your broke college student ass that's going to Berkeley? You privileged, broke college student. And college students have the most disposable income of any demographic. Good. Give me all your weed money this weekend. <laughs> Fuck that. Save brown people i i learned that unapologeticness from greenpeace you know okay. you were looking at death and destruction you're trying to tell me you broke but you're gonna be drinking beer right <laughs> this weekend right fuck that and then when i transfer that over to advocating for myself i get even angrier you know what i'm saying when i and then when i started hip-hop for change and i'm like advocating for for my culture now i'm like ah we're so unapologetic on this street it's ridiculous awesome you know what i'm saying and and it's it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to take this model of street team activism under a 501c3 and then use it for hip-hop. It's not like we're doing anything different because we've always sold our CDs on the streets. We've always mm. thrown fat-ass shows. You know what I'm saying? We've always done all these other things. We just get ticketed for it. We get arrested mm -hmm. for it. We get shut down for mm -hmm. it. We get this. But they can't do that with my 501c3 status. And that's right. what I learned through Greenpeace. They do crazy shit like climb off buildings. I got arrested by Homeland Security. Uh, <laughs> we broke into the Duke Fire uh, Coal Fire Power Plant in Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, I was facing a 20-year charge for it. We broke in there. I was wearing a diaper under my stuff. <laughs> I hung a banner for like eight hours. Got arrested by Homeland Security. That's Greenpeace though, right? I can't wait to do that shit for hip-hop. I can't right. wait to repel off a Sony Universal building and be like, fuck y'all. Yeah. I just cannot wait to do that and get our activism up there. Because I, I saw that that unapologeticness, mm -hmm. you know, the story of Greenpeace, how they started literally putting their bodies on the machine to stop nuclear tests. Yeah. That's what gets people to love you. That's yeah. what gets people, you know, to want to get down for you. It's not trying to make this soft watered ass message that's going to appeal to the most people. Isn't that what that dude uh, way back in the day at Berkeley said? Put Mario your, Sabio? Your, yeah, put yourself on Mar the cog. Yeah, yeah. Put yeah, your, you, have to be, you have to be so pissed off. Like There becomes a point in time where it, the machine becomes so odious uh, yes. that you can't even take part. You can't even passively take part. You've got to do everything you can to make it stop. You've got to put your body on the machine and make it stop. That's a bad paraphrasing. Right. No, but that's but way better than what I did. Mario Sabio, <laughs> he's, he's the man. Totally, right? totally. Um, um, and it's been a long time since Berkeley students were punching Nazis. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and being activists. And and Berkeley's one of the most racist places we canvass and work. You know what I'm saying? Where people wow. grab their babies like I'm going to eat them. And I tell them I don't eat babies. I see people. No, I swear to God. Like, you know, they, I see people put their babies in fight or flight responses in front of yeah. me when I'm waving out there. Hi, talk to me about race. And it's like, don't worry, I'm not going to eat your baby. You're safe. And people are like, oh, what? I'm like, yeah, you know what you did. Keep walking. Um, but, you know, that 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 skill set that I learned from Greenpeace mixed with hip hop culture is amazing, man. We've been able to, you know, once I had this idea, you know, I think the last straw was me getting a chance to open up for Rakim. And okay. there's this co company, they didn't pay me $100 to open up for Rakim. I actually had to borrow 20 bucks from my mom <laughs> to pay for gas to get to this damn show. Uh, and of course I'm rapping because Rakim's the god MC, but it, it, was a, it was a company and, you know, 
since then, we work with them now, you know, and I'm not knocking them, but I think that they were a little myopic back then. Mm. They had the resources. They mm-hmm. should have paid me $100, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I was so fucking pissed that when I got home, I made a video, and it's on my Facebook, it's on this first video on Hip Hop for Change. It's like, I'm going to start an organization called Hip Hop for Change, and we're going to do grassroots activism. We're going to raise our own damn money, just like Greenpeace, and we're going to throw our own fucking shows and invest in our own okay. community. That was the idea of Hip Hop for Change in 2013 in February and I think I stopped canvassing I stopped selling my own CDs and I just printed out a piece of paper hip hop for change we're gonna say the world you know what I'm saying on a clipboard and I raised 26 grand in seven months canvassing on the sidewalk by myself uh, incorporated did the 501c3 paperwork the 3600 California equivalent which is longer than the IRS of course it because uh, California, California. <laughs> California. Uh, made the website did all that stuff and yeah raised 26 grand my first year before I got a co-worker um and yeah, I was like, if Greenpeace can do this shit, I bet you we can do it better. I bet you. And I bet you I can treat people better. Uh, you know? <laughs> when was it that you went into KPOO? So. You said at first to just to, to advertise. In 24, and probably in 2014, because it wasn't until about May of 2014 until I had my first real show. Okay. Actually, no. Was it 2013? I'm kind of blanking. Uh, it's fine. But. I think it was the fourth, the second show, a guy named Derek Keller, he had a hip hop show on Monday. Okay. Uh, he called me and he had said, he's like, yo, man, you want to advertise your event? Because I really like what you guys are doing. I think I might have met him canvassing on the street, which is one of the good things about canvassing because meet, meet, meet everybody. Yeah. Right? I meet everybody. And yeah. it's, been able, it's, been, it's been a great boon to us being able to have a street team under a 501c3. Nobody does that. And I can't believe nonprofits don't do this it's like yeah. free money and employees and, and activism anyway. and also it's the same over here as it is in the city they're small towns you oh. just get out on the street you'll meet yeah. people straight up straight up um and i advocate grassroots fundraising for all the black and brown orgs i talk to i'm like number one grassroots activism is what black and brown people have historically used in this country mm-hmm. for all our politics because we've always been pushed out of the main body politic mm-hmm. so when you look at medgar evers when you look at rosa parks ida b wells you look at uh frederick douglas you look at you know mark Marcus Garvey, it's all grassroots work. Mm-hmm. We had that's all we ever used with collectivists. I, and I don't know too much about you know the Chinese progressive associations, but I bet you they use that shit too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. bet all collectivist cultures are just based in grassroots work. I've been learning this stuff so much, and that's what's allowed us to really su- not only survive but thrive mm-hmm. and thrive un- like like without code switching, remaining authentic, not having to change our our idea of what's needed for our kids because we're trying to placate white cis men in foundations somewhere who are supposed to tell me if my shit is good enough to be right. funded for brown. Fuck out of here. Anyway. It's kind of an overused word, but I think grassroots uh, speaks to community. It's overused right? by who? The, no, the, no, no, the word community is overused. Yeah, yeah, by who? But, but it's a... <laughs> true. You know what I'm saying? It's I, like, you're right, I, I like it. I don't think it. it's overused by gay people. I like it. I don't it. think it's overused by women. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I don't think it's overused by Negroes. <laughs> like, you know what I'm but saying? But don't you think that's what... Gra- that's why... These groups do grassroots because communities yeah. is so strong. I mean, you know, when people talk about grassroots work, they talk about Ralph Nader. That's like almost like talking about Kenny G when you talk about circular breathing. You know what I'm saying? And Ralph Nader's really great, you know, but then yeah. he, didn't, he didn't invent nothing. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? And he might have gone to door to door the first time, but he's not the first person to do door to door. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think. The, the biggest thing that I, I try to tell people when I teach about grassroots fundraising is like you don't need any more than 100 fans 
to be good, right? To be a good rapper, to make enough money, you just need 100 fans to buy your stuff. Uh, if you get 1,000 fans a year, you can be pretty wealthy. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So that's it. And, and fans come by authenticity. Fans come when they can learn who you are. Mm-hmm. So when we created our grassroots street team, you know, we used to say hip-hop for change on our shirts. Now it says in white supremacy. I used to say, hey, talk to me about activism. Now I say, talk to a black man about white people. That's the first thing you'll hear Coffee J say when I'm canvassing. And people okay. go like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Let's talk. yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And I do that for two reasons. One, because if I don't, then I end up having to talk to racist white supremacists. Mm. Right? You know, mm. if I don't say, talk to me about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? I'm like, okay, you're not woke enough. <laughs> you know, let's get out of here. Right? <laughs> Uh, actually, last week there was this, I was on Fourth and Hearst, and this white man uh, was talking to one of our coworkers, Melana. She said, "Talk to me about white supremacy." He said, "That doesn't exist." Let me tell you the real story. And I was like, "Melana, don't waste your time." Uh, and he was like, "No, let me tell you the real story." I said, "Sir, I don't really have the time to discuss with you. My job is to get support." He said, "No, no, but I want to tell you." I said, "Sir, I need to get back to work." He said, "Well, I said, I said fuck you. Get the fuck away from me, old man. Bounce." And I was like. Bounce, fuck out of here. And then I turned instantly and said, hey, somebody else come talk to me, right? Yeah, right. So that's why I'm going to give two shits. And I started talking to this other lady. And a minute later, I look over and I realize he is still standing there with his mouth agape. He thought that I my job was to serve him. Mm. As a lot of 65-year-old white men think. Like, oh, you, but you're going to get this work. And if you don't talk to me, you're still going to get activism. My yeah. activism is two things. One, raising funds for my community. Two, is to show them something they're not used to. An empowered black person that doesn't need two shits from you. I don't need mm-hmm. nothing from them. As a matter of fact, I just need you to get the hell out of my face if you ain't going to make sure these babies know they're beautiful. You know what I'm right. saying? And that's the, that's the interesting thing, because hip-hop for change, our job is not placating or catering to the white folks and the people with resources on 4th and Hearst. Mm-hmm. Our job is to go out there and talk to the white folks or the other folks that are on our side. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, And the most racist places we work are the places we get the most money. Because there's a lot of white folks that are tired of white people's shit. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of men that are tired of women, like the men's shit. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So we're only out there developing our pitch and our presence. Two things. Number one, to make sure that we know how to be empowered brown, mostly brown people, are empowered activists standing strong in places we never feel comfortable. But secondarily, it's to make sure that they understand they're going to get this work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be comfortable on 4th and Hearst around me unless you're comfortable with fighting white supremacy and my job awesome. is not to placate to them you know what i'm saying no. so yeah why so would yeah it? you see somebody walk by with their kids oh i don't have time right now i'm like you got to model that good behavior for your children <laughs> all right you got to make sure they actually stop for brown activists right. oh you can't pass a black man in 2021 wearing an end white supremacy shirt in a white ass neighborhood like this talk to me for two minutes you right. know what i'm saying like it's a different day and age and we are not greenpeace you know what i'm saying right. we're not save the children and and that's what we've been working on for eight years is how to unapologetically unabashedly stand for ourselves stand for our community and our culture so our young kids know how to model that right and they know how right to stand on. in their space because we're a non-profit 501c3 we're not anti-capitalists here right, right? Let's, right. let's keep that straight we're a white supremacist structured business mm-hmm. that is allowed in the states by white right. supremacy to exist but cultural work is important because it, it, it's the voice of the youth that will burn this, you know, this system down. That will replace it potentially with something that is like Star Trek. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like shit. shit, straight up. You know what I'm saying? I don't need, we need replicate. We could have had replicators all fucking ready. I was gonna say they filmed some of that stuff in San Francisco. Oh, Remember man. future San Francisco? Yeah, right. Oh my god. All right, but um, <laughs> Kirk riding the bus. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, yeah there's yeah, one yeah, Kirk and Spock yeah, on, yeah. on Muni. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I thought you were talking about the new Picard one. Uh, but but yeah, I man. I mean, you know. 
I, I think the, the 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 most beautiful thing about hip hop for change is when I started this, I just you know I was like grassroots organizing. You can make a whole lot of money, and we're just gonna throw fat ass hip hop shows and put our people on. Hip hop for change is so much more than I ever imagined it would be. Eight years of working with the most empowered activists most empowered women the most empowered queer people i've learned more about justice in eight years than my entire life awesome. um yeah i've learned more about power than anything i've learned more about delegation and leadership i've learned so much about just just being a human <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh it, it's it's quite amazing we taught twenty six thousand kids k through 12 you know mm -hmm. half for free uh we've employed over 900 activists with a street job having fifty thousand conversations a year in white neighborhoods in the bay area if, pan if the pandemic didn't stop us i'd have a second office in la and probably be working on our third in atlanta or new york right now because if greenpeace can have 14 offices nationwide pulling in 30 million a year i could triple that totally. with authentic cultural work I can triple it, and I can have 2,000 black and brown, mostly people employed nationwide having conversations in white neighborhoods, taking that money back that, that was made on the backs of my people and then invested in with social interest and social capital as well over centuries, take all that shit back and bring it to the hood and then empower a movement that can organize the force of hip-hop to show these kids how powerful they are, how beautiful they are. And and yeah, once you tell a kid how powerful they are, I'm like, I dare you to get in their way. So that's what we're doing here. Um, it's just amazing. You know, eight years ago, I knew some of the local, you know, big talented people like hieroglyphics. Now I'm... Uh, uh, I'm a member of the SF uh, Symphony. I can go anytime oh, I want to. Yeah, oh, you know, the Zellerbach Family Foundation just gave us their award for 2020. Um, I'm a part of the Battery. I'm a resident artist of Battery. You know, people call us to help them with social, social studies textbooks and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's amazing what, what we've been able to accomplish and where we've been able to get ourselves in eight years. I'm in awe. Uh, we sadly we have to wrap um, yeah. I just wanted to throw one thing out so our theme this season we're in our fourth year and our theme for this show is we're still here and I just want to say we're so happy that you're still here too and doing what you do yeah um, I don't know if you want to throw anything out to end it we yeah. can end wherever you want to end I would say this you know we are still here we just got a grant two weeks ago that proved that we were going to survive COVID but Black-led nonprofits, especially in cultural work, have 52% less cash on hand uh, and 79% less savings uh, than white found than white nonprofits because of how philanthropy works. Less than 2% uh, of Americans donate to any groups. Um, and so right now I see organizations like Black Lives Matter getting hella money. Stop giving them money, please. Damn, stop giving BLM money. And it's not that I'm hating on them. It's just they got enough. You know, don't even worry about hip-hop for change. Beats, rhymes, and life. You know what I'm saying? In Oakland, like, they're hurting. You know what I'm saying? The Morpheus Project in Oregon, I bet you they're hurting. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many local organizations that could use a $10 monthly donation right now. Just a $22, $5, like a Jamba Juice a week for some fucking brown kids to, like, know they're beautiful. So now's the time more than ever. Being broke is not an excuse. Put your money where your mouth is or shut the fuck up. It's like, get out of the way. You know what I'm saying? If you don't put your money where your mouth is, stay home and watch Netflix, right? Don't come out. Like, I'm so sick of people loving our rhythm but not helping us with our blues, right? So that's what I say. Just get involved. HipHopForChange.org. And thank y'all. That was Coffrey J. 
on the next episode of Storied San Francisco. Michelle and I visit Pier 70 in the city and meet the project's creative director, Marcy Coburn. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love that. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.